there. We're the Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skuzkowspo. Uh, well, guys, we are in the midst of our summer previews, and uh, you know, so we kind of been letting our regular episodes kind of go a little bit as we've been previewing all of the teams in the Big Ten and the Northwestern non-conference opponents. But you know, there, there's just been a little bit too much news and notes to uh, to completely ignore at this point in the in the, in the preseason, I guess, if you will. Um, camp camps have begun. One of uh, our previews might be obsolete. Yeah, right. <laughs> entirely possible. Um, although, you know, sh- okay, we'll, we'll just you know, cut right to the chase um, with the whole Urban Meyer situation at Ohio State. And, you know, without completely rehashing the story because it's been rehashed by so many different people, including you, John, went on uh, our good friends over at Winning Cures Everything, uh, went on their podcast and uh, did a wonderful job kind of talking about it from – kind of a global Big Ten perspective, but, uh, you know, without rehashing it completely, I'm kind of interested in what is, what's this going to mean for Ohio State on the field? Yeah, I'm kind of, I think we're all, we're all wondering. I mean, I think, like Sam said, you guys should go over, check out the Winning Cures Everything pod. I mean, check them out anyway. Those guys do a great job, but um, this past week I was on there and we kind of, yeah, we, we batted around, talked about the issue a little bit. I mean, <clears throat> away from the field, to me, it's like I'm kind of of this opinion now that, that uh, it's either Meyer or Gene Smith. Someone's not walking away from this with their job. And it's just a question of what's in the emails. But it is funny because we – I kind of feel like so many of our pods, especially the Big Ten East pods, have been revolving around who's got a shot at the Buckeyes, right? Um, can anyone dethrone them? But I guess to me, I mean, aside from the the quarterback position where – and it's not like the, they have a dearth of talent, that that was the one thing. They just have to plug that in and then Ohio State's ready to, to win between 12 and 15 games. I kind of feel like that's still the case. I feel like this is more of like a, a long-term ramifications situation and something that, that might not have that much of an impact this season. But I don't know. I'd be curious to hear what Scuzz thinks. I don't know. I'm, I, I don't feel good about this sort of upheaval. And just thinking about some of the coaches that you named, John, I mean, you think about the Penn State situation, you think about what happened in Waco a couple of years ago. Uh, I, this has generally not like, the, like the situation when the head coach gets, gets nicked right before the beginning of the year, that does not go well. Um, it, I, it, it throws everything just into complete upheaval. Well, and I think like they, they, <laughs> there's one really, really amusing uh, bit that, that I saw on Twitter around the idea that, Ohio State has two experienced head coaches on their coaching staff right now and cannot elevate either one to head coach because <laughs> oh God, they right. have past scandals um, uh, and, and some that, that uh, abut against the same sort of situation that we're dealing with here. But regardless, yeah, it throws everything into flux, like you mentioned, Sam. But there, there's – there's a psychological element too, like one, like there's the actual organization of the team who takes over, who who's the leader. Um, by all accounts, Ryan Day is a very accomplished 
coach uh, and and somebody that was going to get a shot at a head coaching job probably soon anyway. Um, the Tennessee Titans tried to hire him last year uh, as an offensive coordinator, and Ohio State blocked their ability to speak with him. So whether they um, whether they just wanted him for a championship run or they see him as a potential heir apparent to, to uh, Meyer at some point, like he's certainly got some bona fides and, and, and whatnot, but the transition is never as smooth as you would like it to be. And probably more importantly, all you need is kind of like one chink in the armor to, to knock things off the pedestal. Like everything gets wobbly, right? And you just need something to hit stuff the wrong way, a bad loss at the wrong time, an injury, etc., And then you got problems. Um, I will say that, uh, that the loss of Zach Smith as wide receivers coach will probably do nothing detrimental to the team. Um, interesting, especially given, you know, Myers desire to keep this guy on his staff for, for 10 years now, despite, um, reasons that he should have, have done the opposite word around college football. And I heard this from the, from the Stuart Mandel and, and Bruce Feldman podcast, the audible, those guys are, are super well connected. They talked about that. Like other coaches talk about Zach Smith as being someone who doesn't really have his stuff together. He's late to meetings. Um, he's not somebody that's on top of stuff. And it just, it, it starts to paint a picture of, of somebody that urban Meyer was, was too loyal to based on presumed, uh, familial and, and mentor related, uh, relationships. But point being like have, having that piece off of the coaching staff might, might be a slight move in the positive direction, not enough to outweigh the, the negativity around losing, you know, Meyer, who of course is, is, one of the most accomplished coaches in college football at this stage. But I, th- I think the Buckeyes could be in trouble on the field just with the unknown and the wobbly nature that this is going to leave them in. I mean, the the whole issue with, you know, okay, say Meyer does come back, like it, this, the investigation comes back and he's able to come back and coach um, the, just the, the pure distraction of everything, every single question given to any coach, any player is going to, you know, refer to that. I mean, that that's probably going to be the case anyway, even with, you know, with Meyer not part of the program and the whole thing, you know, administrative leaves so the team can focus on the on the field stuff, but there's no focusing on the on the field stuff with all of this, you know, swirling around. Um I I just don't see how the focus, the you know, the mental side and you know, say what you will, yeah, you know, I, I feel like that is one of uh, Urban Meyer's you know biggest strengths is is getting you know kids ready uh, uh, upstairs, if you will, on the field. I mean, the talent I'll, is there. I'll, I'll I'll be honest. If people badger the players on Ohio State about this situation, that's going to feel pretty underhanded to me. Oh yeah, well, but they, they will. I mean, well, you know, so that's think that's that, the but thing. They'll just they'll just they'll just, uh, they'll just say, all right, the players are no longer going to talk to the media. I, I I don't I don't agree with you on that one. I don't. I think if he comes back, everything is pretty much like sweet as as far as their locker room goes. Well, so I I agree that none of this falls at the feet of the players. Absolutely. With that said, I could see a situation because basically right now they're basically sequestering those guys, right? Like it's like no availability whatsoever. There could be a situation, right, where you let these guys talk to the media finally and all it takes is one guy to just say the wrong thing. Um, 
just something like, I loved Coach Smith, he got a raw deal, something like that. And then, you know, you've got that whole mess too. Um, hopefully, you know, that doesn't happen. I will say, Scuzz, you mentioned optics. Uh, as long as we're talking about optics, let's talk about the optics of the 300 soldiers of fortune who showed up outside of was of, was it was Jesus. it that many i uh, i don't even know if it was that many they said 200 to 300 i heard i saw andy staples i think say 200 to 300 yeah i'm just it's been a rough week for those people because between alex jones and Infowars getting banned on facebook and the stuff that's happened to urban meyer <laughs> those people that showed up at the horseshoe are having a real hard week, but oh my gosh, that does does not make Ohio State look good. That that is like part of their most loyal fan base. I mean these these people with all the fake news signs and the and the ESPN equals fake news, even though which, ESPN which I absolutely love, they had this. nothing to do with it. Brett Mc, they fired Brett McMurphy. And he's working for himself until he gets started. Um, what a stadium, I think. But like, well, well, he's get he is getting paid by ESPN as part of his uh his um severance package. But and it's like it's just like right, come on, it's like right now Urban Meyer's most vociferous defenders are those guys and Zach Smith, which is not a good sign for where things currently stand for Urban Meyer. But um, not yeah, not a good look. And then over the course there was the thing. And I think, you know, we tweeted it out and Sam, I think you pointed out that they, that they had, they ordered pizza and had Papa John's pizza delivered to them. Yeah, which that's is just, just the that's cherry just on the sundae. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, like anyone needs more fuel to throw in this fire. Oh my gosh. So anyway, I think, you know, now, like I said, if, if you want to deep dive into this, check out our winning cures, you know, my appearance on winning cures, everything. But right now, I mean, we're in the holding pattern. They announced what, like a, a, a planned 14 day timetable on turning this investigation around. And we're what, three or four days into that. So I guess, you know, we're just going to be waiting like everybody else. I'll just put it this way. You know, coming out of our preview of Ohio State, we, we were basically like somewhere, somewhere between 12 and 15 wins is the spectrum for this team this year. I think 15 is still possible, but I think the floor just got a little bit lower. You know what I mean? It Oh, it's possible for sure. They could, they could, you know, a nine and four season is not out of the question now. It's not the I mean, greatest time to be breaking in a brand new quarterback. <laughs> well, and just kind of think back, you know, with the, when Tressel was fired, you know, what happened to Ohio State the next year? They Well, were... well, hold on. Okay. R- Ryan Day and Luke Fickle are uh, not the same, um, interim head coach <laughs> nobody was nobody in the nfl was trying to hire luke fickle as their dc and what where's fickle at cincinnati now yeah no i mean no shots at, at my boy fickle who's holding it down at, at uc here um in the queen city but uh i like he was he was so young yet he, he had hardly any experience ryan day has been around the block um and is uh I mean, like I said, like the guy was going to get a head coaching opportunity pretty soon anyway. I think there's there's no chance the Buckeyes go six and six, you know, this year or next year. I, I just, mean, you, you would you would have said that, you know, when when Trestle was ousted as well. I mean, even compared to the Trestle situation, though, the amount of talent on this flipping football team is just staggering, and I'm just you know that's why I feel like short term. You know, they, they're still the class of the conference. Um, 
Well, in the Trestle situation, they lost Terrell Pryor too. So, um, right. Well, I mean, so so they were missing a quarterback, and but, where, whereas Ohio State now they are replacing a quarterback. But but they lost him. Like they thought they were going to have him, and they didn't. All right. Fair, you fair know? point. Fair point. Although, as I said on the Winning Cures Everything podcast, and hopefully this will provide a little bit of a pivot to something else I know we're going to talk about. The good old days when the problem was that players were getting tattoos. <laughs> the, play, <laughs> the players weren't paying for tattoos. Can we please go back to those days? Uh, well, I mean, god awful mess. If you want to do that, you just have to turn your attention down to uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, um, where I, I still, I mean, with as much BS that has been going on at North Carolina, the fact that. You know, how is this, I mean, so, okay, they suspended 13 players, uh, for selling their, uh, Air Jordans that they got, um, uh, team issued, uh, Jordans. I guess they've, they've gone to the Jordan brand, uh, like Michigan has. But, um, you know, how with every incident that happens in North Carolina, institutional control has never been, you know, but, you know, those words have never been thrown around. You know, academic scandal. Now Sam, this is just insane. Sam, I totally disagree. The NCAA has sent a clear message, and that is if you spend a decade and a half brazenly ignoring all NCAA rules across all of your sports, they will suspend 11 guys non-consecutively over the course of a football season. Uh, they're, they are bringing down the hammer. There might even be a time at some point where North Carolina notices that guys are missing from the roster this season. Maybe. <laughs> I still don't understand how they didn't get punished for the whole, like, uh, uh, fake classes crap. Um, oh, North Carolina. Like, can somebody please just drop the book on this, on this school, which is clearly, clear, clearly, clearly, you know, to the point you guys just made of like, can we get back to the good old days when I wouldn't surprise me if someone in North Carolina was like, Hey guys, there's some crazy stuff going along, going on right now. As long as we don't get, you know, sucked up in a, in a sexual assault scandal, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh my Lord. The, the, the bar has been uh, changed. I mean, the, it's the level of what well, there's, there's, there's definitely, I mean, so there's perspective that, the NCAA came down too hard on Penn State, which is weird. I don't that I don't get. There's also a school of thought that they that the NCAA regrets how hard they came down on USC, which is interesting. I think you could argue they were probably too rough on USC. I mean, especially given what's transpired since then. Um, and 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 you know it was one player, one coach at USC, and they they basically took away like four years worth of of recruiting classes. Um, or depth in recruiting classes. I don't know how you want to put it, but it's the NCAA's arm of enforcement has been blunted, not just, not just by their own dysfunction and um, how long it takes them to investigate something and the weird indecipherable rules that allow this UNC cheating scandal to go on unpunished, et cetera, et cetera. But they've blunted themselves by reacting too harshly in the past, um, at least once, and it feels like they've lost their their credibility, their ability to to legislate at all. Well, and it's like, I mean, one, it's the wing of the enforcement, and two, it's like the rules themselves, right? 
Are these guys getting any competitive advantage from selling their shoes? No. If they, if like some guy who's a junior on the football team waited another year and change until he was no longer on the football team to sell the shoes, would it be an infraction? No, it wouldn't. So like, who cares? It's not their fault that they're given a bunch of swag that's worth a bunch of money, but it's like, we, it's like, we care that they sell them while they're actually football players at the school, but we don't care, like, if a guy who's, like, 23 and right out of UNC decides to just unload all of his stuff online for five grand. It's just, like, it's ludicrous. Um, but, again, it's like, in this day and age, it's almost like, God, with everything else going on, just hearing that guys are selling shoes seems even more insignificant. And if it had happened at any school other than the school that's made it their business to just give the middle finger to the NCAA for the last decade, I don't know that this would even be a blip. It is funny. Like, I bet if we, we, we could go back and listen to the podcast we recorded after that Trestle stuff came out. I mean, we were incensed. Like right. we were incensed that Terrell Pryor had traded, you know, tattoos for cash, or or had traded paraphernalia for tattoos, and we were incensed that Jim Tressel had covered it up. And to be fair, like Jim Jim Tressel definitely screwed the pooch on that. Um, as Bino Cook always used to say, it's 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 not the crime; it's always the cover up. Um, but we were we've matured since then. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to report. <laughs> hey, we didn't know the basement was going to get that much deeper, okay? <laughs> well, in any case, let's let's pivot uh from this doom and gloom and actually talk about some uh some on the field stuff. I mean, Northwestern started their summer uh practices. They actually just today as we were recording this on uh, August 7th, uh went up to Kenosha to get their Camp Kenosha segment uh going. Um you know, things are looking pretty solid. I mean, I, you know, no one's saying anything, but, you know, you're seeing video of, of Clayton Thorson in, in uniform practicing. So what, to wow. what level? I mean, I, I, it hadn't been much and it's just sort of been like little hits on Big Ten Network, but he's got his helmet on. Uh, he's running a drill or two. So that has to be a good sign. Obviously, they're not going to show, they're not going to let video of anything that would reveal anything of, as far as competitive advantage would go, or so anyone could see exactly how well Thorson's doing. But, you know, even the fact that he's not in, uh, like, that he's on the field at all, that's, that's a good sign. That's a massive sign. I mean, this is the thing we've been talking about all summer. Um, well, and all, most of the winter and all the spring, like, Everything we've said about the 2018 team hinges on Thorson and his his ability and his experience. And I think the question that remains now is what is it 80% of last year's Thorson? Is it 70%? Is it 95%? That's, you know, how, how far he's able to progress in camp. That's a big question. And, and you know, this is... This is a really great sign if you think back to the ill-fated, what was it, 2011 season when uh, the Persa Strong campaign was going on and everyone was really excited and then he had a setback in his rehab and never made it to the practice field during camp uh, and then game week and then missed, you know, the first four games of the season or three games of the season. I can't quite remember if it was a fourth. It was, but, it was, I think it was three. He came back. 
in the fourth game in, against yeah, fourth, Illinois, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah so yeah. um this is we're we're not through the woods yet, but this is a great sign. And again, I think I've said this before, but I think there's so much fretting going into whether or not Clayton Thorson is going to be ready for week one and not enough fretting going into what is it going to be like for him from weeks one through weeks, you know, 14, 15, etc. Um, I think this is the time for him to get healthy. I think the real question is going to come the minute, you know, he steps on the field against Purdue and every game after that, but... But here's hoping that he's at least in, in the right shape to, to get out on the field for that first night. And I'd like to think that they've, you know, gotten smarter and, you know, they're not going to put him in a situation where if he's not ready to go, they're not going to push him. I mean, he's got, you know, high round draft pick potential and, you know, you got NFL scouts sniffing pretty closely. Um, they're, they're not going to put him in a situation where he's not ready to go. You've got to, you got to think. Or, or am I just giving you a little too much credit there? No, I think that's true. I mean, I think, I, I think this coaching staff is pretty conservative when it comes to players and their health. So I don't, I don't have any concerns about that. Um, and I don't think, I don't think the Persa situation was a case of the coaching staff putting him in a bad situation. I think it was, uh, I think it was even before he got to a practice situation that, that he was in rehab and had a setback. Um, but I, you know, I don't, I don't have any worries there. I, th- I think uh, everybody's priorities are in the right place, and they understand uh, how important Thorson's recovery in the right way and the right time and the first time, uh, how important that is to him and and his future career. So, um, and and frankly, you know, th- that's not just a bad thing for the coaching staff. Look at um, the acquisition of Hunter uh, Hunter Johnson and how Thorson was a key element in that in talking about how the coaching staff works with him, develops him, etc. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Johnson, and I don't want to go too down too far down this track, but I was just having a conversation with someone the other day where we were talking about. Hunter Johnson's going to be practicing this year with the Cats. He doesn't play until next year, but uh, I can't wait to, for those first reports to kind of come out of of, uh, of practices about what Hunter Johnson actually looks like slinging for the, the scout team or, or whatever else. Um, just one more thing to look forward to. Uh, every year since 2011, Northwestern has awarded the number one jersey to a player who, you know, it, it's awarded by the team to the the player that they kind of consider as being the epitome of Northwestern football. Um, that was just announced today that uh, Chad Hanaoka, uh, running back, former walk-on, uh, he's a senior now, he's going to be wearing the number one jersey. So congratulations to him. You know, you know obviously following you know, Tyler Lancaster, Anthony Walker, Max Chapman, uh, Bo Sizek, um, you know, uh, among other Notar- you know, notable people to wear that number one jersey. So I, I know that you know, Chad Hanaoka is not uh, kind of top of anyone's radar when it comes to the running back depth for Northwestern. But uh, I mean, this is a guy who you know, comes from Hawaii, worked his way up, uh, didn't actually start off as a player. He started off, you know, walking on as being a video intern. So, I mean, he went from the video room to walking on to now uh, being the you know bearer of the number one jersey, so great story on that front. 
Do you it, think uh, Do you think Northwestern's strength coach could wear the number one jersey next year? It wouldn't fit him. <laughs> <laughs> ah, come on now. If it fit Bo. It'd be too big. It's funny. How many – so I'm super happy for Chad. I don't know, like, next – like, can they give it to Joe Spivak as early as next year or does he have to wait until he's a senior? Yeah, yeah that's we, a good point. We all know it's coming eventually. But it's funny. I, I did a little informal research and I only – I, I didn't go back farther than like ten years, so I'm sure there there are different players that I, that I might be forgetting. But um, kind of looking at wh- how many carries uh, Chad Hanaoka needs this season to become the all-time leader in carries for a player who has worn number one for Northwestern, at least in the last decade. I think Tim Hanrahan has eight carries. Um, and he's putting him far away. And currently, Chad is in a, a three-way tie for second place with Bo Sizek and Tyler Lancaster, which I think is hysterical. Who about who between them have four carries for about zero yards? Uh, because Lancaster managed to go forward a little bit, and Bo just went backwards. Sorry, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I do think um, you know, kind of like Hanrahan. Um, Hanaoka was uh, a very good high school football player, albeit, uh, maybe not, you know, at the top level. I mean, he's from Hawaii, but he, he was a notable high school football player and he played running back in high school. Um, and obviously he was getting it done in the classroom just as much so, and, and has been just an exemplary student and student athlete at Northwestern, which is part of the reason he's getting the number one. But I think the guy's got a little bit of wheels to him and, uh, you know, Fourth quarter of the Akron game or something like that. If they, if he's getting touches, he's got a chance to break one. So that would really be the 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 topper for the whole situation. But here's hoping we see something like that. There hasn't been a lot of news on the recruiting front. Um, you know, kind of with the notable exceptions of you know the guys we didn't get. You know, you guys want to dive into that a little bit? <sighs> yeah, I guess it's worth mentioning. I mean, I, we never really touched on it, but I'm sure if there's anyone, if if we are your soul source of Northwestern information, which we may be, uh, we apologize because we teased the Jarrell Brock situation for several weeks and then we just didn't talk about it for like two months. Uh, and you may have put it together from, from that if we are your only source of information that we did not get Jarrell Brock. And that is because that is the case. Um, he, yeah, he, went to, he went to Iowa State, um, stayed home, I guess. Credit, Not really. Credit, I mean, yeah. credit to the kid. Uh, Iowa State was the first school on his radar. They offered him really early. I think we we attributed a lot of that to Louis Sainey's initial recruiting before he came to Northwestern. And that very well may be true. But the bottom line is um, the kid uh, danced with the one that brung him, so to speak. Um, Iowa State was on it really, really early. And uh, and he was loyal to them and stayed loyal to them and and that's where he stayed. So well, um, well, and it, it's worth pointing out they have an absolutely fantastic running back. Um, I forget his his full. I think his last name is Montgomery, but they have an absolutely amazing running back coming back this year. Matt Campbell will, will probably not be there for most of Jarrell Brock's career, but um, he is a very good head coach, and I'm I don't have any. I'm just guessing here, but I'm I'm guessing that there's some some family connections or some family ties, per, perhaps to the Cyclone pro- program, especially given how quickly Iowa was out of the mix and otherwise. So, I mean, this is 
it's certainly a bummer. We were all really excited about this kid. We thought the Hunter Johnson thing was going to be the, the, the icing on the cake to get him to NU, but uh, it was not to be. Um, but it doesn't mean like no, nobody should look at this and start to panic about what, you know, Northwestern's recruiting status is and, and that, you know, the, uh, the amazing facility that literally everyone is raving about right now uh, in the college football world is not doing its job or anything like that. Like this was, you know, one kid who made a decision. Uh, hopefully it's the right decision for him. I think it certainly well could be, but um, nothing. It's, it's not something that we should be particularly worried about. And just within this class, Northwestern's still pursuing several high three-star running backs um, that we have a really good chance of getting at least one, if not both of them. Um, and we'll get to all that down the road. Um, I will say only because it provides one other little pivot to something else that I think we wanted to at least touch on, which is in a vacuum, when you take sports out of the equation, how insane it is for someone to go to Iowa State instead of Northwestern. <laughs> just... In in every possible way, you've got Northwestern, one of the most elite, hardest to get school into schools in the country. And then Iowa State, who runs, they put up billboards in Chicago being like advertised for a school. And take it from me, because this is something kind of what I do for a job. If a school is putting up billboards to try to get you to advertise, your chances of getting to try to get you to go, your chances of getting in are pretty strong. Um, and it's just, but with it, of course, within the realm of football, it makes perfect sense. Scuzz mapped it all out and, and the road that he's got and the, you know, the, the role he sees himself sliding into. Um, the reason I mentioned a possible pivot here is that Jordan Lathan, who of course we talked about on the basketball front was going to be our point guard for the next four years. And then for reasons we probably will never know, um, with Northwestern withdrew his scholarship offer has wound up at UTEP. And I am just like, when you divorce basketball from the situation, can you just imagine being a student thinking you were going to go to Northwestern and then having your scholarship pulled and then ending up at UTEP? I am just, that, that's like, that's like being put on the moon. I can't even just, I mean, I, again, I hope it all works out for Jordan. I hope that 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 this is truly where he wanted to go as soon as the Northwestern thing fell through. But man, oh man, things that we are just insulated or or used to dealing with within the realm of sports that would seem so absolutely insane if you took sports out of the equation. It's just so weird. Along those same lines, and yeah, not wanting to to dive too deep into this, but uh, you know, talking about former uh, basketball players who. Are transferring. Um, Johnny Vassar has transferred to Tennessee Tech uh, as a grad transfer. So he was he did actually graduate from Northwestern. Uh, lawsuit is still pending uh, with the you know, whole situation that we've talked about in the past. But uh, you know he's transferring to Tennessee Tech, and you know he's going to be able to play a year of basketball. Good, you know, good for him. That that's fantastic. Again, still don't know what happened on that front. That's just weird bizarre but uh he he is able to uh continue his basketball career at least for one more year at uh, tennessee tech yeah it's funny i think if i read it correctly i think he actually has two years of eligibility left um crazily enough because he he graduated in four years um 
and immediately has his grad transfer eligibility. And then I think he actually has a redshirt year left. Um, it's, it's kind of strange, but I thought I saw somewhere that he actually had two years. But it's funny, I actually looked at the UTEP schedule to see if they were playing Tennessee Tech this year, just because I thought that would be a, a bizarre bow on the whole thing. But, but hey, I'll say this for Johnny. With all the stuff that he had to deal with in this whole cloud, without even playing basketball, got himself a Northwestern degree, and he's always going to have that regardless of what comes next. So good on him for, for that on that front. Any, anything else to mention before we uh, continue our search for the Swoley Grail? <sighs> for my final thought, now that we've talked about, you know, the... Uh, we've talked about a, a Northwestern running back who's going to be wearing number one and a Northwestern running back who is not going to be coming to Northwestern. We'll talk about, you know, one of the all-time greats who just hung up his Northwestern cleats, Justin Jackson, uh, who's currently, you know, he's been making a little bit of noise in Chargers camp. I think he's sort of in that battle for the number three job, a number three running back job. Things are very early, but he's been featured on the Chargers website. Um, I think he's he's drawn some rave reviews. Um, coaches have been saying some really good things about him, which is not too surprising for a Northwestern fan, obviously. Um, I think he tweaked his hamstring, so he's going to be sitting for a few days, but uh, I think we're all going to get a chance to, to get a real look at him in the preseason, which I think we all know JJ turns it on when the lights are on, so I think uh, that's going to be really fun to watch. For my final thought, a, uh, a brief update to our Michigan State preview, and that is that Michigan State's starting quarterback, uh, Josiah Scott, is going to miss roughly two months of the season after suffering injury during training camp. And this is this is worth mentioning because it's kind of feeling like everything's coming up Harbaugh. Um, I mean, this is one player on Michigan State, but their defense, as John outlined in our preview that went up uh, last week, I believe, is really, really spectacular. Um, Scott started all 12 games last year. It's I sh- We should note, though, not spectacular against the pass, and that's where this does make a difference. Well, and he led the team in pass breakups, passes defended, uh, and had two interceptions. So this is kind of a big loss. D'Antonio said, oh, we've got all these other guys that are going to be just fine and fill in and whatnot, but um, – I I think this stretches Michigan State in a uh, in a way that they don't want to be stretched, and will be interesting to see if uh, their their pass defense falls off even more at the beginning of the season. Uh, for my final thought, um, I actually got two. Uh, one is happy. One is a little uh, sadder. Um, to start off, uh, everyone's been raving about the new practice facility. Um, and, and rightfully so I actually had a chance to drive Pat drive around campus a little bit yesterday. Um, just was trying to kill some time, uh, try to get my daughter to fall asleep cause she didn't want to take a nap after traveling all day. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but in any case we went, uh, drove past the, the new practice facility and pictures do not do it justice. It is absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah, I, I know I'd questioned a little bit whether or not uh, punters would be able to get their full uh, arc on punts, whether they hit the roof or not. That's not an issue. I mean, this is like a full-on uh, dome stadium. It, it looks beautiful. And, you know, I, I've never been to uh, to the Kibbe Dome, but I'd, I'd wager that the Ryan, new Ryan Fieldhouse might be a little bit bigger 
than what uh, Idaho has out, out there in in Idaho. Um, on, on the Saturday side, uh, do you want to mention um, the passing of Blackhawk legend Stan Makita today? Um, just awful. You know, he was one of the best players ever to put on the Blackhawks sweater. Um, you know, suffering from uh, dementia the past few years. Um, I, I guess family reports that he had he was completely gone and has been for a few years now. Just none of his old uh, self was left. You know, you know, Alzheimer's dementia is just is a brutal, brutal disease. And uh, fortunately, you know, he did he is donating his brain uh, to CTE research. Um, so you know, hopefully they'll be able to get, get some more research, uh, from that. But, um, RIP to Stan Makita, one of the best Blackhawks ever to play. And with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there, uh, for this week. You can head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, at Westlot Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scousboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.